Welcome to A Disciple's Point of View, a podcast where we go over a variety of topics related to Christianity. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of A Disciple's Point of View. And one thing I have to say right off the bat is you may have to give me a little bit of leeway, a little bit of forgiveness, because I'm a little bit under the weather. But as I say, in show business, the show must go on and the gospel must be preached. So, or podcasted in this case. Anyway, we're going to continue in our series about the book of John, okay? And last week, I entitled the message, Jesus, the Hope of Christmas. This time, and and it just kind of seems to fall in line this way. It didn't necessarily, I didn't plan it this way. I didn't necessarily think that it was going to kind of progress this way. But this week, we're going to talk about Jesus, the hope of a new beginning. And obviously, as we come upon um, this week of the new year, obviously on Saturday is January 1st, which most of us, according to the Gregorian calendar, is going to be the start of 2022, hence a new beginning. It just kind of happens that it falls this way with what we're covering in John chapter 1. So we're going to pick it up in verse 35 in John chapter 1. And it says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, some context to this and why the uh, John the Baptist would actually sit here and call his cousin the Lamb of God is in anticipation of what Jesus would do in Isaiah chapter 53. And a lot of people try to discount that this is actually talking about Jesus. But if you read it, and if you even just sit here and you just read Isaiah 53 and just read it on a street corner, people are going to know automatically who you're talking about, even though you're quoting the Old Testament, such as Isaiah 53 verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And even though... Uh, John the Baptist calls him the Lamb of God. In verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And it also goes back to the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system and the sacrifices that the Lord would prescribe for the sins of the people, basically. And that's the crux of why John the Baptist would call Jesus the Lamb of God. Picking it up in verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, "Who? what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? In verse 39, he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So whenever you see something like the 10th hour, basically it was the 10th hour after sunup. And generally speaking, it was around 6 a.m. or so. So you can deduce that was about 4 p.m., okay? Uh, Picking it up in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So a couple things here. Andrew, one of his first inclinations when he realized that he had found the Messiah or believed that he had, obviously, he his first inclination was to go tell people about it, right? And it's like a lot of us who become Christians, that's one of the first things we want to do. We want to sit here and we want to tell everybody that we have found this new life in Jesus Christ, right? 
And here's the trick and kick of the Christian life is that you have to continue to do that. I've been a Christian for over 28 years, and it's kind of like a marriage in that sense. And I know that in the scriptures, it talks about that we as the church are the bride of Christ. So you can imagine it is kind of very much like a marriage in that you have to keep working on it, right? You have to keep walking. You have to keep nurturing this relationship. And after a while, you kind of get used to a certain way of living. And if you're in a church and you're doing your church thing, you may forget to still evangelize. And that is one thing, myself included, that we always have to continually remember to do is to tell people about this life that we have received, this life that we cannot keep to ourselves, okay? This isn't something that God wants us to keep to ourselves. He wants us to give it away continually and to tell people about the love and forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ alone. No other religion will do it, right? The second thing is, is we have found the Messiah, so there were a lot of Old Testament prophecies about what exactly the Messiah would be, how we would know who this Messiah was, et cetera, et cetera. So if we look in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, it says the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of nations shall be his. Right. So this couples also with Micah 5, verse 2, that says that the Messiah will actually come from Bethlehem and actually mentions again about Judah and affirms that the Messiah would come from Judah. And also there's another prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that talks about how the Messiah would be a descendant of David. In 2 Samuel verse 7, I'm sorry, chapter 7 verses 12 through 13, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Couple this with Ezekiel chapter 37, when in verse 25, when God says he will raise his servant David. The reason he says I will raise my servant David after David had been long since dead, right, is that in this prophecy in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God tells David that the Messiah, the one who will raise up the uh, kingdom and nation of Israel forever, will be his own flesh and blood, will be an ancestor of his, will be somebody who is from his seed. So this is what uh, Andrew knew and understood, that whenever they saw somebody doing the things that Jesus was doing, this was the one that the prophecy spoke about, okay? Picking it back up in verse 41, he found he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah. I've already said that. So in uh, verse 42, he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and says, you are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. That's something that God tends to do quite often. We often saw this also in the Old Testament. See also uh, the patriarch Jacob, who is renamed Israel. And that's how we get the descendants of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel because the 12 sons of Jacob or the 12 sons of Israel, right? So God has a habit of renaming people. And even in the book of Revelation, uh, it talks about um, whenever Jesus was addressing uh, one of the seven churches in uh, Revelations chapters two and three, says, he who overcomes, I will give him a white stone that has his new name on it, only known between me and him. 
right? So God has this habit of renaming people whenever they're called according to his own purposes. Picking it up in verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So the whole thought and process here is, is basically Nazareth was kind of like a, um, a town that was kind of given over to all sorts of wickedness, idolatry, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Philip says, come and see. So basically like, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You know, I have found him. I've seen it. I'm going to prove it to you. Hey, just come check him out. And so he actually goes. And in verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. So Jesus saw down to the spirit. He didn't just simply look at this guy and go, well, he looks like he's a good guy. Jesus looked into the soul of Philip and saw that he was somebody who wanted to keep the law of God. He wanted to do the things that God wanted his people to do. And Jesus saw that. In verse 48, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? He's like, you know, okay, how do you know I'm a good person? How do you know there's nothing false within me? And then Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I heard one pastor, and there's no real scriptural references for this, but I think his speculation has merit. The thought and process here is, is that Nathanael was praying under the fig tree. What he was praying for, we don't know. This, like I said, is kind of speculation. But clearly, he was doing something under the fig tree. And Jesus said to him, before you were called, I saw you under the fig tree. He wasn't anywhere in the vicinity. But if he was praying to God, it's clear that if Jesus, which earlier in this chapter says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? And then later, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It's Jesus Christ who is God, and he saw Nathanael under the fig tree praying. In verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Verse 50, Jesus answered, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say unto you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This was basically a reference to a dream that Jacob had in the book of Genesis, where there was a ladder going up into heaven and angels ascending and descending up and down the ladder, hence Jacob's ladder. You probably have heard that before. Jesus is claiming that he is that ladder. He is that bridge from sinful human beings to God in heaven. Okay. And this is why I'm calling this message, Jesus, the hope of a new beginning. Because this is where it all starts. Basically, Jesus is going from his earthly life, uh, living under his parents, being a carpenter, being obedient to the law, living out the requirements of the law. And he is now going forth in his ministry, proclaiming the kingdom of God, building up his apostles, training them to prepare the way to be able to start a calling 
out of people into this new covenant to proclaim this new covenant that was prophesied in Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 34, Ezekiel chapter 36 verses, I believe it's 24 through 36, Ezekiel 37, the end of Ezekiel 39, and also in Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27. So this is the culmination of prophecy of Jesus Christ coming into the world and proclaiming this new life that people can be forgiven before God, that Jesus could be the ladder that goes into heaven. He is the hope of a new beginning. And if you're listening to this, then I want to tell you about how you can experience this new beginning in the next segment coming up here in a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process, if you will, to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.